Well, good morning and welcome to church. I wish that I would have had the teaching that I'm about to give to you guys when I was in my 20s. And I actually dated this girl in college. She was my first serious girlfriend. I dated her for like three years. And um, I remember being genuinely puzzled as to whether or not I should propose to her. And uh, I was just so unsure. I was like that guy in that video. I just did not know God's will for my life. And now here's the irony in this relationship that I didn't reveal to you is it was the worst relationship ever, period. Like our friends, um, they loved us, they hated us together. And going out with this girl with other friends was always very embarrassing and difficult because we were always fighting. You know what I mean? Like it was always like real bickering and it was kind of like everybody's like, <laughs> like, please stop, you know? And it's like, we can't because we hate each other. And uh, looking back, I'm like, why didn't we break up? You know what I mean? You ever have those friends? It's like they're together and they hate it. It's like, what are you doing? Why can't you just be like, uh, we're done here? You know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna go this way and you go that way because we hate each other. We were literally each other's worst enemy. Like, we actually, like, I viewed her as an enemy. I mean, I cared about her, but like, I hated her, right? And her name was Hillary and my last name is Hill. And it's like, what were you doing, John? Like, this was doomed from the beginning. This is a combination that doesn't work. I prayed and I prayed. I sought the advice of others. And uh, they would be like, do what makes you happy, like the worst friends ever, right? I mean, if your friend ever says that, it's like, you know what? We don't really have authenticity here. This is it. Do what makes you happy, okay? But uh, no matter what, I, uh, I could not bring myself to a place of clarity. And uh, it's so embarrassing because um, I went to my 10-year college reunion and, uh, you know, I could see the look in people's faces, right? They'd see me and they'd be like, Johnny Five, oh, hey, great to see you, you know, slip and slides and water balloons and whatever, and it's so fun, you're that guy. And then they'd be, I'd see their eyebrows raise. And I knew what they were thinking. Their mind would go, and weren't you that guy that had that Jerry Springer relationship? And would be like, yeah, you know, and they'd look around for her and they'd be like, oh, so you got divorced? It's like, no, I actually, I didn't marry her, you know, thank God. But um, I feel like for, for some of us, um, for some of my friends, it was actually entertaining. You know what I mean? Because they were like a live studio audience in a real life daytime television show. It was like, this is Sally, Jesse, Raphael every day featuring my friend's misery, you know? And uh, honestly, it's one of those moments in my past I, I like get embarrassed thinking about. And uh, the whole relationship was like peeing my pants in front of all my friends every day. It was just uh, the worst, you know? Now, in hindsight, it was a terrible relationship. And I'm 100% certain that had I married her, we would have had deep marital issues. And uh, if I knew then what I knew now, about finding God's divine direction, um, I would have put on a set of pit vipers, grew out a mullet, and yeeted that girl out of my life in a heartbeat. Yeet! But honestly, she wasn't that bad. It's just we were bad, and I was a bad leader. And I'll take most of the blame, but um, I want you to have this teaching because I don't want you to waste three and a half years like I did. I want you to have this teaching so that when you're in a place of uncertainty, not just about marrying a girl, but about, about retiring early, about buying a business, about becoming a snowbird, or maybe picking a college career or major, about how to discipline a kid or whether to have another kid or whatever you're seeking God's divine direction for, I want you to have this teaching so that you can have a clarity that I didn't have. I want you to learn God's divine direction for your life. That's what we're going to look at over the next four weeks together. I want to welcome you online. Jail, welcome. Hebron, what's up? Love you guys. DeMont Wheatfield, good to be with you. And, uh, you know, Hebron, special thanks to your campus director, who is also my wife. Somebody said, you know, she's a lot easier to look at than you. And I'm like, you're right. Absolutely. But uh, anyway, special thanks to her. She did a great job last week. And uh, Sisterhood, I think, was my favorite event in the week. I mean, that was so powerful. It was super cool. And uh, I love being a part of this church. And I'm excited to announce, you heard it here first, I'm excited to announce that this fall, okay, details to follow, we're launching brotherhood. Yeah, baby. It's going to be sweet. Come on. 
We're going to smoke some meats and play some dodgeball, do some Bible study. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be sweet. So uh, if you're new with us, welcome to church. And uh, this is a place where no one's perfect and everyone's welcome. And uh, I don't care what happened in your past. Okay, this is a place so many people are like, well, I could never come to church because I'd start the place on fire, da, 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 whatever. Lightning would come down, blah, blah, blah. Listen, listen, God cares about your future. He can redeem your past and he loves you. And even last night, this is a place where no one's perfect and everyone's welcome. God has a plan that will bless your life and this church is all about calling you into that plan in practical, helpful ways. Every week, our one hour long services are designed not just to encourage you and to teach you. The, the goal of the service is to give you practical steps that call you into a deeper obedience and relationship with Jesus. We're kicking off this brand new series called Divine Direction, and that's because we like to teach our messages in multiple week-long series that give you a deep and wide understanding of the area of focus. And we don't just wanna give you deep, rich, expository, verse-by-verse biblical insights. You know why? Because that's what Jesus' enemies in the Bible, the Pharisees, did. They knew the Bible so well, they just weren't transformed by the message in it. And so this church follows Jesus' example. We wanna teach for life transformation. That's what we want. Practice handles on how to follow Jesus more deeply. We don't just want you to know the Bible, we want you to live it out. And uh, so for the next four weeks, we wanna show you how to know God's will and God's plan for your life. And I want you to know these messages are probably more related than ever before. These are super, super related. Each week is gonna build on the next. Please, please try to make it to them all. And uh, some of this message series came from an almost 25-year-old teaching by the great Andy Stanley, but it's been adapted and changed pretty heavily. What I want to do is give you a practical teaching on how to discern God's personal plan for your life so that in most moments, big and small, you can apply what we'll be teaching and you can make choices with confidence and peace knowing that you're in God's plan for your life. And even So if you want to know God's personal will for your life, if you're a person who struggles with decision-making anxiety, even if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't follow him, I actually think that this message series is gonna be super, super helpful. And uh, this is something that I wish I had when I was younger. So let's start with a question. Have you ever met that person who is just so wise and so godly? You know those people I'm talking about? It doesn't matter what the question is. I mean, you go to them and they just have a clear vision for how God's plan intersects with the moment of your life. And it's like so, so good. And every time you talk to them, they're like a Christ-centered oracle of wisdom. And they just seem to know. It's like, how did you, how did you know? You know, and you have this problem. Maybe you toss and turn and prayed about it and thought about it for a long time. You just don't know what to do. And you go to them and they ask you three questions and then boom, two sentences change your life. And you're like, ah. Oh. How did you, you know what I mean? Those people that always make, ah, oh, how did you know? You know, how did you see that? It was hidden in plain sight. I've encountered these people all my life. And I think the person that has embodied this the most, and this is like God's big blessing to me, is my dad. Okay, my dad is just this incredible, incredible man of God and man of wisdom. Like I go to him, all of my major decisions, even today, I will go to him and he'll tell me like, hey, this is what you need to do. And always, always knows, never steers me wrong. My pastoral mentor, Jeff Wright, is this way, and uh, we've got some elders and deacons that, that do this as well. And uh, these people are so amazing. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. The longer I follow Jesus, this is what I want you to know. It's a big deal. Divine direction is not a gift that some people have and others simply don't. It's not what it is. Divine direction is the result of following a process that God has for our lives. I believe that everybody can have a good measure of divine direction in their life. You don't need to necessarily have the gift of discernment. You don't necessarily need to be this specific type of person to be able to be one of those wise people. There's a process that you can follow that I wanna teach you about in this series. 
I've got a key passage that I want to lay out for you. And, and before I read it to you, I know some of you are just going to roll your eyes and be like, that's so kitsch, John. Like, we all know that. It's written above. Others of you have never heard this, but I want you to consider memorizing it. This is really, really profound. And there's some hidden truths in here. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And here's the part you want. And he will show you which path to take. Do you want to know which path to take in your life? Are you stuck at a crossroads sometimes where you just don't know which way to go and it's like, oh, do I stay? Do I go? Whatever, what do I do? Right? This passage is so powerful because hidden within it is this process and it's hidden in plain sight, but it's this process that is so, so incredible. What I want to do is I want to unpack that process today. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to go much more deeply into it. But today I want to unpack that process. I want to break this passage down. And then I'm going to give you an analogy that I think will have the power to really transform the way that you discern God's plan for your life. Now, when it comes to the will of God, there are three major categories. There's three wills of God that the Bible sort of talks about um, in different ways. And I believe that that passage I just read to you sort of refers to all three of them. And to really understand what's in that passage, you have to understand the three wills of God. We talk about seminary. The first one is the moral will of God. Right here, the moral will of God. This is stuff that God tells us directly about how to live. <clears throat> These are the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. Right, so if you're thinking like, God, should I lie? Should I lie in this moment? Should I lie to my mom? Should I lie to this person? You already know the answer. You know why? Because God says, thou shalt not lie, right? Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. You don't need to pray about it. You don't really need to think about it. It's the moral will of God, super clear, right? First Thessalonians 4, 3, it says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin, right? Moral will of God, pretty simple. God's moral will is that we honor his plan for marriage and sexuality and gender and orientation. Clearly, if your boyfriend says, hey, let's move in together, We'll save on the bills. You can try that shoe on before you buy it. You'd never buy a shoe without trying it on first. And you know, that's how it works for marriage. We don't want to be silly. We don't want to rush into this. So let's just move in together. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to ask for advice about it. God's word tells us so clearly that this is not right. And what's amazing is the data really backs us up, right? Living together before marriage romantically dramatically increases the chances of divorce, lowers relational satisfaction. And what's really interesting is statistically living, trying it out with three different people or more romantically prior to your first marriage, all but guarantees that your first marriage will end in divorce. That's just what the data is. And I'm not saying God can't redeem it. If you've done that, you know, turn to Jesus, repent. Like I believe that, that he can redeem your first marriage, but this is the moral will of God. And it's not there to make you miserable. It's there because he loves you and wants to bless you. How about this one? First Peter 2. 15 through 17, it says, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. This is a big deal. Okay, he says, as a Christian, don't be a hypocrite. You should live a life that is so honorable when somebody says something about you on Demont, unofficial and original, when somebody comes at you on Hebron chatter, everybody who knows you, they're like, there's no way that he would do that. I don't believe that for a second. Like, there is no way you can get a real one-star review. We know because of their reputation. I met them and I know them. You should live that life. It just silences people who, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't say, oh, you know, God will just forgive me. You know, I could just sin and God will just forgive me. And no, 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 that's not what he said, okay? He says, respect everyone, keyword, respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God. And then I love this last part and respect the king. Tells us even if we disagree with the government, even if we disagree with the president, if they're not asking us to sin, we honor them. And even if they do ask us to sin, doesn't mean we obey, we can, we can fight against, but, but we still respect. People ask me all the time, hey, pastor, should I cheat on my taxes because the government and this and that? I can send my kids to college and you know, I can get more to the church, right? Right? If I do that, and I'm like, no. No, the moral will of God is super, super clear here, right? And, but wait, pastor, but pastor, you know, former President Trump is a blankety blank blank, but former President, or, but President Biden is a blankety blank blank. And listen, you can disagree with and still respect. 
It's the moral will of God. Human beings are made in God's image. So we respect, and that's the way it is. We treat human life with dignity and respect. This has been the mark of Christians. I mean, Christians have transformed the world. I'm reading this great book on church history, and it is so amazing to watch the way that human beings who are Christians have brought dignity and respect to societies, right? And when you take Jesus away from society, all of a sudden we get polarized, and we get angry, and they're such, and he's such, and they're worse, and they're evil, and whatever. But when you have Christians in society, you have people who respect people that they disagree with. And that's the mark of Jesus, right? And the more familiar you become with the moral will of God, the more easy it becomes to see. The second will I want to mention is the divine will of God. The divine will of God. You got the moral will, you got the divine will of God. This is the big picture will of God. This is stuff that God is going to do no matter what. There's no amount of praying, there's no person that can change or influence God's divine will. Divine is a synonym with the word providence, right? The, the providential will of God. It refers to God's perfect time and God's greater plan and how he's going to carry it out. Before time began, it was the divine will of God that he would redeem the world through Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the right time came, it was the divine, the providence of God, that God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God planned this. It didn't matter if you prayed for it. It didn't matter if you wanted it or didn't want it. God was going to do it. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 tells us that one day we're all gonna stand before God and give an account of our lives. We will be judged for our lives. That's the divine will of God. You can't pray for it and stop it. You can't pray for it and make it happen. It is going to happen. It's the divine will of God. It is the divine will of God that Christ will return. It was the divine will of God that he would raise up a nation, Israel, through whom he would bless all the nations of the earth. And even though the divine will of God doesn't hinge on our faith or prayers per se, sometimes God calls us to be a part of his story. Mary, I'm going to send my son into the world. No one can stop me, but I want to use you. And she was a part of God's divine plan. Abraham, I want to bless all the nations of the earth. I want to call you to a place that you've never been to establish a new nation. And Abraham, I want to use you. God's divine will happens no matter what. And the more we know about him, the more we know his word, the easier it becomes for us to recognize his divine will. Finally, in between the divine will of God and the moral will of God rests the personal will of God. And this is what you came for. This is what you want. The personal will of God is God's will for the microcosm of the decision that you are trying to make in this specific moment. The personal will of God is, is questions like, should I marry her or should I break up with her? Should I buy a new truck or should I fix my current truck? Something I'm wrestling with right now. Should I take this job and move away or should I stay here and, you know, whatever. Should I go to school or should I stay and work in the family business? Okay, this is people seeking the personal will of God. And the good news is that according to the Bible, God is very interested in our personal will. 1 Corinthians 1.1 1, 1 says that God wanted Paul to be an apostle personally. And revealed his personal will to him. First Peter 4.19, a verse you probably don't want to memorize, tells us that God literally calls personally some people to suffer for their good and for his glory. It's his personal will. Here's the thing about the three wills of God, and this is big. The three wills of God are designed to work together. They're designed to work together. And this is gonna be the best part of the message. This, what I'm about to reveal to you is gonna be super helpful. I really think that for years to come, as you follow God, you're going to think about this specific thing I wanna show you. Okay, I went bowling with my kids the other day. My wife got this adventure book that like has all these family adventures and you like scratch off stuff and I absolutely hate it, but she makes us do these things and it's just the worst. But anyway, um, so we went bowling at Wheatfield Lanes and uh, it was team dad, Hermione, and Aurora versus mom, Isabel, and Eldon. We were 
were definitely the underdogs, but it was a Rudy Rudiger moment, and we won. And everybody was like, Rudy, Rudy, dad, dad, dad. You know, it was amazing. And actually, everybody was crying on the way home, but it's not related to me winning. But anyway, um, it was bumper bowling, which is honestly pretty fun. I don't know if you know about bumper bowling, but it's where these large bumpers come out so you can't throw gutter balls. Thank you, Wheatfield Lanes. This is why we have millennials, right? Growing up, when I was a kid, um, right, I was at the very beginning of millennials back when we still had some Gen X tendencies, and I remember the first time I went bowling. They didn't have bumper bowling. I literally just threw a gutter ball every single time. 20 times, I pushed that ball down the lane, just watch it, boom, 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 in the gutter, like every time. Got zero points. I think it's important to learn to fail, right? Because you take all those feelings and you squish them down and you learn not to care, right? I mean, that's so important. I just throw that box into a volcano. That's why I'm dysfunctional now. Why do you rage so much, John? I don't know. But literally, bowling really reminded me of the wills of God, right? So we have these three wills of God, divine will, personal will, and moral will. And I think that what I realized as we were bowling is I think the divine will of God and the moral will of God are sort of like the gutters, the boundaries for the personal will of God in a bowling alley. I want you to frame it like that. And here's what I mean by that. The more you learn the divine will of God, and the more you learn the moral will of God, the more clearly outlined the personal will of God becomes. All of a sudden, you see these boundaries in your life, and it is so, so helpful. You know when you are in his personal will and when you're out of his personal will. And here's the thing. I think so many of us are like bowling in a gym blindfolded. You know what I mean? Like imagine standing in this big gym, wood floor, you know, all the way around you, and you've got 360 degrees with which to throw the ball of your emotional effort and passion and whatever. And you're sitting there blindfolded and there's a set of pins somewhere in that gym, but you don't know if you're close. You don't know if you're far and you just keep sending those balls all around and you don't know if you're close. You don't know, you don't know if you knock pins over. You don't know what the score is. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh my goodness, I have no, and listen, that is so anxiety inducing, isn't it? I mean, when I was far from God and some of you guys, you're far from God, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I don't know which way to go. And you're anxious and the decisions and there's so much like, I don't know. And you know, there's only so many frames you get in life, right? You only get 10 frames. You only get so many balls just sitting there like, I don't know, and what's the score, right? And the hardest part is when you're 20, it's like, okay, I know what I want to do and whatever. And when you're 40, it's like, okay, I got, I got the house. You know, the third one is big and I did what, you know, Chip and Joanna told me to do and whatever. And I have the pole barn, you know, and it's full of all my toys and I got the V drive and all this stuff and it's all in there and I have all this stuff and you just feel empty inside. And you're sitting there and it's like, I have all this stuff and I feel now like I did then, but all this stuff was supposed to fix what I felt like then and you're just bowling blind in the gym. It's like, what's the score? I don't know. I don't know. And it feels, it feels really bad. If you want to know what the score is, if you want to know what you're supposed to do in your personal life, if you want to know how to bowl, if you want to know whether to marry her, if you want to know whether to take that job, if you want to know whether to reconcile or divorce, if you want to know how to discipline that kid, if you want to know how to respond to that coworker, you can't seek God's personal will for your life first. You have to learn his divine will and his moral will. It's like taking off that blindfold and opening up your eyes to the personal will of God in your life. Because as soon as you learn the divine will, as soon as you learn the moral will of God, all of a sudden you see this lane and it becomes so, so clear what God is calling you to do. Now here's the big thing. This is really, really important. I want you to get this. Order, order really matters. When it comes to discerning the personal will of God for your life, order really matters. If you look for the personal will of God in your life first, you will never find it. That is the wrong order. The first thing you do when you are looking for the personal will of God is you need to learn who God is, his divine will, his great story, and then learn his moral will for your life. That's the way that you begin to see his personal will. This is so, so critical. Here's what I like about this illustration. This is so important, is... Um, the personal will of God, I think, is, is, is wider than we think it is. You know those people who bowl and they can do the crazy spinny thing? You know, they go up there and they do the wow, and the ball like, woo! It's like magic! How did they do that? You know, that's incredible! I can't believe they can do that! You know, and that's fine. 
That's all, that's in God's personal will. That's what you're in the lane, right? And then you see those people, they just go straight down the middle, you know, like a million miles an hour. It's like, I lift weights and drink protein and steroids and woo, pins fly everywhere. That's good. That's good, you know? It's a, some people, they go from the edge and they like to like right through there and that's fine. Some people are more successful than others. Some people only get three pins. Other people get strike every time. And listen, listen, listen. As long as you're in the lane, you are in the personal will of God. That's it. And so many people, they lose their minds about the right choices. Oh, I have to make the right choice. I got to choose the right college or the right guy or the right girl or the right job. And here's the problem is, is you lose your mind if, if you choose the wrong thing. And listen, sometimes God's will is precise, but a lot of times his personal will is simply outlined most of the time by his divine will and his moral will. And as long as you're in that lane, as long as you see that lane, you're operating inside it, you can be good. You can take peace. You can rest in peace. What does God give to us? What is the big gift that God gives to Christians? The Bible tells us, peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. Because we know the boundaries of our life, the lane that we're going for. It's good. And this is what I love about our key passage. I kind of want to go back to it because you guys are going to see it with new eyes now that we've talked about this, right? What does he say? He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You trust in his divine providence. You trust in his divine will. You trust in him. And do not depend on your own understanding, right? Don't say, oh, I'm going to let my moral will, I'm going to let whatever, I'm going to try and define his person. I'm going to try to find what should I do in this moment? What should I do in this moment? I got to think, what do I got to do? And He says, no, 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 no. You know what you do is you seek his will, his will, his divine and moral will in all that you do. And then after you do that, after you seek his divine and more will, then he will show you which path to take. He will show you his personal will. Order matters. Order really matters. So many people do it in the wrong order. You look for God's personal will in your life first and you will never find it. God almost never tells us directly what his personal will is. God, I just need an audible voice. That's not how he works. You know why? Because I think he wants to drive us to him. He wants to drive us to know him. As we seek his divine will and moral will, our relationship with him, our love for him, our admiration and submission to him develops much more. And God's not a big controller. He says, look, as long as you're in this lane, it's good. He frames it with these two things. And listen, this life right here is what wise people know. Those wise people, my dad, his whole life has had a very clear understanding of the divine will of God. We're gonna talk about this in a few weeks, but the divine will of God, the great story of scripture, God's plan to bless all nations is critical critical to understanding God's personal will for your life. And so many people, you don't know the great story of the Bible. My dad, like the first thing he did when he became a Christian is really understood God's plan, great commission plan to bless all the nations of the earth. This is something that so many people miss. A lot of people know the moral will of God, right? Some people don't. My dad has been such a wise decision maker because he has both of these things framing his life. So I go to him and I know he's gonna be able to help me determine what that lane is for my life. This is what wise people have. When you really see the divine and moral will of God, when you really throw a ball and you end up in the gutter, you know it. And here's what I love, is we serve the God of second chances. You know why we say no one's perfect and everyone's welcome? Life isn't like one shot. It's not one opportunity. What happens in bowling when, when, when you get a gutter ball? It comes back, you get another chance. What happens in Christ Jesus when you get a gutter ball? Ball comes back, you get another chance, right? And obviously at the end of this life, I mean, most of us have so many years and then we're done. Those are the chances that we get. But God doesn't look at you and say, oh, you fell out of my will. It's done. You lost it. It's not like a big house of cards and if you don't build it just right and it falls over, it's over. It's like, no, no, no. You got a gutter ball. I love you. I forgive you. Use the knowledge from that failure and from my boundary, my moral boundary, my divine boundary to inform your next shot, right? And that's the God that we serve. And I don't know where you're at in life. Maybe you've had some gutter balls. You're like, oh, my life is over. I fell outside of God's will. We serve the God of second chances. Use that failure to get within his will more clearly next time. Before the divine will and the moral of God are known in your life, I feel like life is bowling with a blindfold in a gym. 
And I just know that there's some of you here, you're so anxious and empty because you have everything you've ever had and you don't even know if you're winning. And I just wanna encourage you to open up your eyes, to take off the blindfold and say, Jesus, you know, I trust your divine will and your moral will. I wanna learn about them. And I think when you really start to learn and abide in the moral and divine will of God, eventually it's not gutters, it becomes bumper bowling. And uh, early in my Christian faith, I actually had to like change my friends. I had to change a lot of my habits. I had to change my sports because I just kept falling in the gutter. And I knew that if I didn't predecide, if I didn't have that shot correct at the very start, I knew I was gonna fall into sin, right? I've reached a place in my life now where, I mean, it's not impossible. It's a lot easier when temptation comes to be like, no, I'm not doing that, right? I hit the, I hit the bumper and it's good. And we know people like that and you've reached that place in your life, right? Sometimes though, <laughs> things get hard. You get into a new context, new temptations, those bumpers go away again. But I think we can reach a place where we're bumper bowling. I love our key verse for this reason. I just think it's so full of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you, he will show you which path to take. Now the big question I get, the big question I get all the time is, pastor though, what do I do? What do I do when um, God's personal will is not clear for me? What do I do? Like I really wanna know it. I mean, I do have this thing and like I really need to know and I don't know, what do I do? And uh, there are two questions that I would ask myself in this situation. And these are helpful, you can write them down or not, but um, the first one is, are God's divine and moral will known clearly in my life? Like, do I actually know them really clearly? You know God's great providential story to bless all the nations of the earth. We're gonna go over it in this series, but I mean, it's a big deal. And I think for a lot of us, it's like, no, I don't actually know what God's, go I mean, I know that like, I'm supposed to repent of my sin, but do I know like God's great plan to accomplish through the churches? Do I know what that story is? Most of us know. So it's kind of hard to, you know, I mean, we don't, we're like bowling with, with one side, others, we don't even know God's moral will. And this is why, and this is such a big deal. This is why reading your Bible, going to church and being engaged in life group is so important. I think so many of us, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a good thing to do, you know, but whatever. And it's like, you don't really know God's plan for your life. You're flying blind. You had peace in a moment when you gave your life to Christ and now things are very undefined. Listen, I have read the Bible many times over. Master's degree in theology. I know the Bible really well, but I find that reading my Bible daily, being engaged with church regularly are critical to knowing God's personal will for my life. And if I don't do those things, his personal will fades. It's important. Second thing, um, do I abide, abide, keyword, in, should say in, his divine and moral will. Abide means to live in with both your life actions and your heart. And I think it's one thing to say, well, I'm not technically sinning, but if you look at everyone else say, well, whatever they wanna do is fine, and I affirm this, and I'm open and affirming to that and whatever else, that's not abiding, right? Abiding means with all your mind and heart, your actions, your life, and your heart, you love God's plan, his moral plan for your life. If the answer to either of these questions is no, then of course, his personal will will be fading from your life. This for me is such an effective litmus test for intimacy with God. If I have a lack of clarity in the personal will of God in my life, it's a little warning light in my mind telling me to seek him and his word and check that I'm abiding within his moral and divine will for my life. So back to that college story. I dated this girl for three and a half years. And again, in hindsight to me, it's like so obviously wrong. And sometimes, you know, rear view mirror vision is so much easier than the windshield vision. But I mean, it was, it was so unclear to me in the moment and uh, I think it's because of the fact that the boundaries of God's moral and divine will in my life were not very clear. 
See, in college, it's not that I ever said, well, I'm going to rebel against God. I'm just going to stop believing in God. I didn't even realize that things changed. But you know what happened was um, I just, I stopped pursuing God like I did in high school. You know, in high school, I was a part of the student leadership team and I was preaching at youth group all the time. And, you know, I was leading my friends to Christ, reading my Bible every single day. I was always at church and whatever. And in college, you know, it just sort of faded because, I mean, I went to chapel all the time. And I just, I didn't really pursue God all that much. You know, I mean, I had Bible in every class. I didn't really read my Bible regularly, seeking God's wisdom in my own personal life. I attended church, but like less than I ever had in my life, probably like 40 weekends a year. I didn't give anymore, and that's embarrassing. I didn't serve much. I didn't build community much. And uh, here's what happened is the personal will of God faded from my life. Why? Because I stopped sharpening his divine and moral will in my life. That's what happened. And I think this is so common, common. I think this is epidemic in the church. You know, you were raised in church and you love God so much and whatever else. You never said, oh, I'm going to walk away from this, you know, whatever else. Just, it began to fade over time, didn't it? And it just began to fade because, you know, you stopped seeking his divine moral will. You stopped being engaged with the will. You stopped sharpening those things. And you know, what's amazing to me is how blind and aimless I became. Like how blind and aimless. I just felt like, oh, I still love God. But I mean, I was lost. Did I know God's personal will for the moment in that relationship? No. So I tried to seek it. I tried to use my own judgment. I tried to be like, well, if I could just, you know, da-da-da-da with her, and if this could just happen, then maybe. And I leaned on my own understanding, but there was no clarity. I was so aimless. I was so lost and anxious. So I graduated from college, which kind of was a miracle because there was lots of stuff going on. But anyway, I graduated from college, and uh, I went to my first job in Dallas, Texas as a youth director at a Presbyterian church. And you know what? It was a really hard experience on a lot of different levels. And I just began to seek God first in everything. And all of a sudden, his personal will just became crystal clear in my life. I wanted to be a pastor and she wanted to be rich, so that's a total no-go. I wanted her to build a church with me and she didn't really have the heart, the skill set, or the grit, mainly the grit for that. And all of that evidence had been there for the longest time, but as I leaned on my own understanding, I was blinded. And as I let go of my own understanding, he showed me which path to take so, so clearly. And I remember how easy it became to end that relationship. You know, I mean, it was super, super easy. At the end, I mean, we were emotionally enmeshed. I really cared about her. We were still super close. And you know what? I just saw God's personal will for my life outlined by his moral and divine will. And I said, see ya. And we were done. I don't know where you're at in your story today. I don't know what you're seeking. I don't know the decisions that you're trying to make, whether it's buying a company, whether it's seeking reconciliation or leaving it a marriage, whether it's moving home, whether it's going back to school, whether um, it's getting married, whether it's how to train your teenagers or whether or not to have another kid. I will say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will, his moral and divine will in all you do. And he will show you, he will show you which path to take. God is real. He has a plan for your life. And I just want to remind you, something doesn't come from nothing. Intelligent design doesn't come from no intelligence. We don't follow the religion of atheism. That's superstition. We don't live in the ignorance of agnosticism, right? We know scientifically, empirically, we know that God laid the foundations of this universe. He loves you. He's not a cold, distant father. Seek him today. Last thing I'll say to you before we go into questions is um, there's a little bit more to this analogy I need to add next week. This is incomplete. And if you apply this little bowling thing, you say, oh, that was really great. That changed my life. This is an incomplete and broken analogy. I have to give you a little bit more on this for the next couple of weeks, but especially what I want to give to you next week, really, really critical. I just want you to know because I would hate to lead our church into a place that would ultimately become legalism. 
okay? Didn't have time this week. And I know some of you theological people are like, uh, Pastor, are you going to talk about that thing? And it's like, yes, I promise you I will. But look, I only have 30 minutes. So um, I promise you we'll do it next week. It'll be good. Please come back for the rest of this. But two questions I want to give to you as we close, and these are really important. And look, I know a lot of you do this. I see like half of you, you know, you ask me about it, you do it, and that's great. Another half of you, you're like, uh, what's for dinner? Okay? And that's great. I love that. But, um, Please do these this week. These are going to be helpful. And, you know, I was going to do four, and uh, Corey Good, our future deacon, was like, John, will you please just do one or two questions? I said, all right. Actually, he said one, but I did two because that's just, I'm a pastor, right? But uh, first question, on a scale of one to ten, how much divine direction do you feel in your life? I think this is such a good litmus test. How much do you feel the personal will of God in your life? In high school, I would have been like, it's a ten. Ten, baby. In college, it would have been like a two or a three. And I never stopped loving God. And I never intentionally walked away from God. I never would ever. But if I would have asked myself that question in college, it would have been like warning light. I got to get this into gear. I got something I need to do. I got to take some action. I got to pursue Christ, right? And I think this is such a good litmus test. You can answer it in your head right now. You don't need to talk in the car on the way home. You just think, man. And if that answer is lower than what you want it to be and you're a follower of Christ, like maybe it's time to do something, which is my next question. What can you do to make the moral and divine will of God more clear in your life? What can you do? Maybe it's getting re-engaged with a life group. Maybe it is getting into a Bible plan. Maybe it's a commitment this summer to say, hey, we love the lake, but we're coming back for church. You know what I mean? Bass Lake is only 38 minutes away. I can come back here. I can go in church, right? Whatever it is in your life, I just want to challenge you to say, Jesus, we acknowledge you. We love you. We're doing this. I want your personal will for my life. And I know that means I can't lean on my own understanding. I need to seek your will and your ways and all that I do. I'm excited about the rest of this series. Next week will be great, but as we close, please stand to your feet and uh, I'm gonna pray for you, for our church. God, I lift up your church with a capital C around the globe right now. Lord, I lift up, man, I lift up Israel and Palestine to you. I lift up your broken, hurting church around the world. And I know that the sun is rising. As we leave this pandemic, I believe that the best is yet to come. I ask that in the people hearing my voice right now, Demont, Hebron, Wheatfield, online jail, God, I just ask that all of us would seek your divine and moral will in our lives. We trust that as we do, we'll begin to see your personal will in so many different ways. But God, I just ask that we would be a movement of people who seek you first. We resolve to love you and acknowledge you in everything that we do. Give us the courage to transform the way that we live because of what we believe. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing one last song together.